Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, all you theater lovers out there, uh, both out and proud and on the DL, and welcome to a special episode of Broadway Breakdown, a podcast dedicated to the history and legacy of musical theater's most exclusive address, Broadway. I hope you enjoyed that uh, little retro music intro from our episodes of Yore. With me today is a friend of the pod and our resident movie musical critic, uh, my mother, Tani Tiktenkovlik. Hi, Mom. Hey, Matt. Good How- evening. Good evening. So this wasn't necessarily part of the plan, but I realized that in the last 12 months... Ooh, sorry, I just burped. In the last 12 months, any time that there's been a movie musical out, we've watched it, and you've come on to discuss it, uh, The Prom, back in December... It didn't come out, but we did an episode about all the Annie movies, and then there's one that came out this week that we are going to discuss. Which which is it? Uh, In the Heights. In the Heights. Now, we have some history with this movie, but you don't really have any history with this show, yes? You never saw the show? I never saw the show. No. But you were aware of it. I was always aware of it, yes. Always aware of it. So, I had seen the show. Do you remember... When I was part of that, like, teen critics, like, class in high school, I, uh, I don't remember. It was, like, some theater organization. They did, like, a writing class for, like, teens to go see shows, and then they would write little reviews about them. Vaguely. Yeah. And we, I mean, we went to a, an event where I, like, gave a speech. Do you remember that? No. Was I there? Maybe. I gave a speech. It was, my opening statement was, uh, there's no such ba- a thing as a bad theater experience. Let me rephrase. There is such thing, uh, such a thing as bad theater, but every experience is worthwhile in terms of building your taste and your knowledge and expanding everything. Anywho. Particularly now, we're trying to encourage everyone to have the live experience when it becomes available. Exactly. But yeah. that's to say, we saw In the Heights in that group when it was off-Broadway, and then when it moved to Broadway a year later, I went and saw it on the Broadway. But that was my main experience. Then I think I saw one or two regional production since then but we have actually some so (laughs) i'm trying to think of the best i'm i am trying to think of the best way to now word this the movie came out this past weekend 
That was not the first time either one of us had seen the movie, though. Correct. Yes. I was gifted a screener about five or six weeks ago, which I watched by myself. And then two weeks later, you wanted to watch it, so we watched it together. And then three weeks later, the movie came out, and we watched it on a big screen, although separately. Both on an IMAX screen, around the same time of day, just two different movie theaters. Correct. Yes. Although you were sitting next to my friends. I was. Yes. Quite by chance. Quite by chance. World is small. Yeah. So here's how I think we're going to go about doing this. There are certain things about this movie that I do not want to discuss because I don't think it's necessarily our place. Uh, accurate representation of the Latinx community, I don't think that's our place to discuss. There was some controversy when the movie came out about uh, somewhat of erasure of Afro-Latinx people. Mm. That the movie was mostly about uh, a specific kind of Latin community and that the Afro-Latinx community was basically shut out of it. I will say... I I will come back to it at a point when we discuss the movie in terms of plot changes, just because there is something in the stage show that does kind of address that. And they cut it, so that was kind of... But my my opinion on that is more on dramatic structure rather than on representation. So we are both white people, white Jewish people, one might say. Yes? Yes. Yeah, so not our place to discuss accuracy of representation or to uh have any kind of we can have our opinions so we don't need to voice our opinions on i don't know certain about sounds about people about looks or things like that you know what i mean like certain lived experience that we just haven't had exactly uh so we are going to be discussing the movie from as much of an objective standpoint as we can discussing it purely as a piece of movie making Correct. That is That's how fine. I would like to do it. Yep. So moving on. What were your initial thoughts of the movie, both your first and second time? First time, as you know, I turned to you at the end and I cry at pet food commercials practically. Mm-hmm. And I said my eyes were dry. Yeah. Um, it just didn't move me. Maybe I didn't get it. I didn't have an attachment to the stage show. So I was left a little cold. Um, but I saw it again yesterday and had quite a different experience. Now, I think that it plays very differently, small screen to big screen. Of course. And um, it was much more, um, well, I saw it in IMAX, so it felt very almost like 3D. It was, mm-hmm. am I doing okay? No, no you're okay. doing great. <laughs> right. I, was, I was making sure that it was still recording, that the charging was good. Keep talking. Well, please. it was a much more... Um, face level kind of viewing you know everything was big you felt like you were right in there right you're more immersed in it yeah very much it's a much more immersed experience thank you yes uh and it it it, well what i concluded was and you maybe you agree maybe you don't is that i didn't have expectations the first time but the second time i went in a little bit loaded for Mm. for bear but i bought in and I think that's the thing you have to just sort of buy into it because it explodes almost like Radio City Music Hall at Christmas time. Mm. It's that active, that big, that loud. Um, but when you can sort of see it almost face to face, it's a different experience. <laughs> 
tricky situation for me because there are some movies of yesteryear where you really can't watch it on a computer screen because in the before time, and when I say before time, I mean like pre-1970, really, where movies were filmed with the understanding of you're going to see this on a big screen. Part of the photography of this is about seeing it on a big screen. That's like why Lawrence of Arabia was the movie it was, or Dr. Zhivago, or Gone with the Wind. They were these epics that you only saw on a big screen, and it wasn't until, I guess, the mid-50s when movies started playing reruns on TV that that was started to become a thing. But even then, like, movies were not being made with the mind frame of, oh, will this play on, like, a TV screen at some point? I would say starting from the 1980s onwards, when home video became a thing, and then especially in the 2000s, once we had the streaming boom, movie makers now have to be keenly aware of how a movie's going to play on a small screen. And I think it's kind of the ultimate test of whether your movie holds up or not, these days anyway. Whoa, I just hit my mic. Uh, how it holds up these days anyway. If it can still play well on a computer screen, maybe not as well as on a big screen, but still, you know, hold its own. It's like when you design a website, it has to work on your phone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, same kind of thing. Well, so uh, Mike Bello, friend of the pod, who will be a future guest on the next series for this pod, he always likes to say the true test of a musical, if it's good or not, is it should make just as much sense just as much sense and work just as well in a black box as it does in an elaborate setting mm-hmm. which is absolutely fair i think sometimes there are shows where the you know elaborate staging can help enhance the the musical help enhance the storytelling but yeah like if it's if it's a strong musical if the bones are there it should be able to work as stripped down as possible as well as done up to the nines I've always enjoyed the stage show of In the Heights. I've never found the stage show to be exceptional writing because I don't have an emotional connection to that uh, to that world necessarily. In the same way that, you know, I can never tell anyone if the play Significant Other is good because I'm so in it, like my everything about me is in that play that I have absolutely no objectivity. I just black out and start crying the moment it begins. So I could, it's going to be like 40 years. So I can tell you if significant others, any good, but within the Heights, because I'm not, that's not really my world. Those, those are not the people that I grew up knowing. I don't have that emotional connection to it. So I always have viewed it more objectively. And I always found it to be this amazing score and a kind of okay script. And to be fair, some friends of mine who have worked on the show, both Broadway and on tour, when I tell them this, they go, yeah, kind of true. Well, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to encourage you to watch it one more time, because the fact that we can't access that particular experience isn't enough of, a, of an excuse. I mean, for example, you know, Fiddler on the Roof playing in Japan. Mm-hmm. There are certain universals that mm-hmm. come out yeah. in a movie like this. It's still about people. It's still about love. It's still about family. It's still about displacement. So many people are displaced. It's just it, there are certain common things. I, th- I think that a musical or any work, any dramatic work, can be universal. It doesn't necessarily have to be people you know. So I think The Fiddler is an, is a brilliant example of that, where it's a show that hundreds of millions of people around the world connect to, even if they are not Jews from Russia um, or just Jewish in general. Uh, we talked about we talked about that before, I think, 
with in Japan when Fiddler premiered in Japan and mm-hmm. like was this huge explosion and everyone there was like, do Americans get this show? <laughs> because they connected so much to the tradition and the and the familiar uh, family structure, uh, the power dynamics of the genders. They it was really kind of uh, potent to them. What I always connected with in the Heights was the sense of community and family. I always felt that this show was trying so hard to be such a positive representation of the Latinx community that it always felt a little squeaky clean and thus there wasn't a lot of edge or drama mm-hmm. to it, mm-hmm. which is fine. It doesn't have to be that. Not No work can cover absolutely everything. It was What I'm saying is that that was uh, a choice that they made that I understood. It was not always my tempo. But I was what I when I my bringing this up about the show is I'm trying to explain how I got to the movie, which is mm-hmm. that I got to the movie fully on board with you know, the show is not sacred to me. If there are any changes are made, bring it on. I think some of the best movie musicals have had major changes done to them. I've talked about it before. Oliver has some major script changes that improve the material so much. It is the most mediocre stage show that's turned into a, the most brilliant film. The Sound of Music does song placement differently in the movie than they do in the stage show and they cut stuff uh west side story does that too so i'm not precious about it the first time i watched the movie i thought it was only kind of just okay there were a lot of things i didn't really care for it the second time i saw it with you two weeks later i liked it more and then the third time on the imax screen i cannot say that i loved it overall i still like it i think it's a good movie and i think there are moments of it that are exceptional but there are also moments of it that I find kind of sloppy, and we'll get into all this in a bit. What sort of threw me was having seen it the first few times on my own, and then with you, it was before any reviews came out, or anyone was really talking about the movie much, and I was like, I wonder what everyone's going to think of this. Like, it's it's kind of a little too long. Uh, some of the numbers are kind of a little overblown, and not all the scenes are that interesting, and some of the plot lines get dragged on for too much. But then all the reviews were coming out. And everybody was going online about it. And people who I have seen, like, destroy what I think to be, like, very well-crafted films were like, oh, this movie is perfect. This movie is a masterpiece. And I was very thrown. Because I think you can like this movie. I like this movie. The word perfect is such an objective term. Um, You can, no emotion can be put on it. It mean what you were saying is that. Subjective, no? No. The. Perfect cannot be subjective because perfect is literally saying that it is free of criticism, right? I think people are using the word in a subjective way, and that is incorrect. For example, when I say that Paddington 2 is perfect, and we've watched Paddington 2 recently. When I say that Paddington 2 is perfect, I'm not telling you it's the best movie ever made. I love it. You don't have to like it. I don't want to know you if you're someone who doesn't like Paddington 2, but listen, gay. When I say it's perfect, I mean, like, there's literally nothing I can critique about it. And I don't think there's anything anyone can critique about it because you cannot like what it's trying to do. But what it but it does, it succeeds at doing everything it's trying to do in terms of storytelling, aesthetic, pacing. There's not a wasted second. There's not a wasted frame. Every acting choice makes sense within the characters, within the worlds. There's no inconsistencies. Maybe, like, there's some continuity errors, but, like, I have yet to see a single movie that doesn't have that. So when people call this movie perfect, I was like, you can like this movie. This movie is objectively not perfect. There are, there are flaws with it. 
And I think what happened is, and I, I, I'm going to remind people every five minutes that I did actually really like this movie because I'm going to be pointing out criticisms I have with it. I just want to always remind people, I did like it. I did like it. Uh, I liked it more than The Prom, for sure. But I think, and this is going to sound a little tasteless, but I think it's true. I think COVID is the best thing that ever happened to this movie in terms of public perception of it. Because after a year, a little over a year, of quarantine and lockdown and then things slowly reopening and it's all social distancing and masks, to have a big, bold movie musical come out that's all about positivity and community and acceptance and family and love and just be this celebration of music and dance is just sort of like the right movie at the right time which I don't think it would have been a year ago if COVID had never happened it gave us all sort of a hunger for this kind of film I think that's fair yeah and I also think the fact that it's such an unapologetic musical which so many movie musicals of late aren't I know theater people are really pleased to have that, to have a movie musical that's so unabashed with that. Um, so that's my take on the on other people's reviews on it. And I don't want to speak for everyone, obviously. I know, I know I hate it when people try to like psychoanalyze why I have my opinion on a piece of work. So I'm not trying to psychoanalyze everyone. I'm just discussing a pattern that I've been seeing, literally just like standing on the sidelines, like watching the whole picture. And I think how the quality of the movie won't be really uh, determined for a while. I think it's going to take some time for sort of the dust to settle before everyone can kind of look at it again and go, okay, this is the movie. Because every movie musical, when it comes out, there's usually a lot of hoopla about it. Love, hate, love, hate. And then it's like five years later when it's like, oh, this is the general consensus on this on this movie musical. Well, so there's nothing else in that space right now, right? There's no there's no combating, competing film. Not right yet. Not yet, but right now, I'm saying. I don't know if you noticed, but there uh, was no teaser for West Side Story. When there in was the Heights. not. It's almost as if the studio said, we don't want anyone... Uh, being reminded of another movie musical coming out later this year with Latin X characters that happens to be made by an Oscar winning director and adapted by a Pulitzer Prize winning writer. Don't think about that movie. Think about this one. Mm. The only movie musical trailer we had was the Dear Evan Hansen trailer. Yeah. Which, side note, I think they might have done some retouches on it because Ben Platt looks a little less alien like in it. <laughs> Just my two cents. So the movie. What are some stand? What are some standout moments in the movie for you? Standout moments. Well, I think the the big swimming pool number was was no. very impressive. Ninety six thousand. Yes. Yes, and I also liked um, the one in the courtyard at the end. Carnival de Barrio. That yes. one. I liked that a lot. That had a lot of uh, life, and and it was so. Um, I don't want to say honest. That's not the right word. But un, un, genuine. It was genuine, but it was also uncamouflaged because there were big sweat stains on on people's clothing. So it was hot where they were. And to me, that was just very real. You know, you don't paint those things on. <laughs> those were real. Yeah, it's. I do like that the movie does not glamorize like 
the summer <laughs> right <laughs> summer in new york they're not like what a gorgeous and that's part of the show the, the show too is all about like just how fucking hot new york can be in june and july like no one looks cute in the summer in new york city i also like that the movie cast a lot of different sizes yes for all the different roles and totally. ensemble members which i love because broadway is sizest and does not know how to accommodate ensemble members who are not well, you saw it in the ensemble. The, the stars are are pretty pretty. You know, the two yes, women the, are the, very the, pretty. The, the, the four main characters, the love interests in in this movie, are all models, very much so. And I'll I'll get into Vanessa and Nina in a second. The actresses who both of whom I thought did a lovely job, but I learned something about myself on my third viewing because I watched it with a friend in IMAX. I'll get into it now. So <laughs> good, I can't wait. Can't wait. So, okay. So actually, mm, mm, I lied. I'm gonna do a quick little uh, plot summary for everyone out there who hasn't seen the movie and doesn't know what In the Heights is about. But if you haven't heard of it, if you don't know what it's about, I don't know how you found this podcast. But nonetheless, this is the plot summary on the IMDb page, but it's courtesy of Broadway.com, and you can tell because there's a couple of bit of wordings in here that are the stage show. In the Heights centers on a variety of characters living in the neighborhood of Washington Heights on the northern tip of Manhattan. That is where Washington Heights is, the northern tip of Manhattan. Moving on. At the center of the show is Usnavi, a bodega owner who looks for the aging Cuban lady next who uh, who looks after the aging Cuban lady next door, pines for the gorgeous girl working in the neighboring beauty salon and dreams of winning the lottery and escaping to the shores of his native Dominican Republic. Meanwhile, Nina, a childhood friend of Usnavi's, has returned to the neighborhood from her first year at college with surprising news for her parents, uh, who have spent their life savings on building a better life for their daughter. Oops. Ultimately, Usnavi and the residents of the close-knit neighborhood get a dose of what it means to be home. Now, the wording in that is a little off for the movie because in the stage show, Nina has both of her parents and in the movie, she just has her father and we will get to that in a minute. So what I learned about myself as a human being is that I think I'm inherently distrustful of thin, beautiful women (laughs) because so the whole thing about Nina coming back from college, you find out she goes off to Stanford and she comes back from her freshman year at Stanford to announce that she's dropping out she won't be going back and she has this big fight with her dad at this big like friends and family dinner and they all like go off to the club to blow off steam i was telling my friend afterwards i was like i was really annoyed to like see nina sitting at the club on the sides with like her gaggle of friends and she didn't look like she had a care in the world. I'm like, you just had a big blow-up fight with your dad like 45 minutes ago. You could look a little more bothered. And he goes, oh, she looks bothered to me. I just don't think you trust her rest- her resting face. Like, <laughs> he says, I think you just saw her sitting there being nooch. And you immediately were like, what is that Regina George doing? <laughs> what is she thinking? What is she plotting? What is she planning? Um, which is fair. Both the actresses who play Nina and Vanessa, Nina's played by Leslie Grace and Vanessa's played by uh, Melissa Barrera, are stunning individuals and just like unfairly so it's like the every time they walk across the screen you're just like you don't i'm reminded of um a line on gray's anatomy when they find out that katherine heigl used to model and sandra goes if i looked like you i uh i would just be naked all day i wouldn't have a job i wouldn't have skills i wouldn't know how to read i would just be naked I'm like, and not to like say that that's what these two women should do, but like I look at them like if I looked like you, I just 
I wouldn't have skills. I would I I would know that everyone would just do everything for me because I am just that god like looking. But I don't want to objectify them too much, but as a gay man, we tend to uh not honestly fetishize, but we tend to um objectify beautiful women because we're like god, I want to pee you a little bit. Which I think we envy the fashion that they get to pull off, you know. The nails, the nails that they have. Go, are you saying go for it? I don't know. I, I wear your clothes all the time. I, I think there's a lot of fashion victim that goes in there, crippling high heels, those long daggers of nails. You yeah, know? but you know what? Grass is always greener because I see the high heels and I go, oh my God, that sounds amazing. That looks incredible. <laughs> You're a, you are a saint. You are a patron saint of fashion. But I've never actually had to experience it myself. So maybe if I put it on, I'd be like, oh, my yes, God. Yes, because you can't fit your foot in my shoes. I'm sorry that you have a size two and that I have normal <laughs> person feet. God, have you ever thought about having bigger feet? It would make my life so much better. Well, you could just lap off your toes. Maybe that would help. Just like in Cinderella. Yeah. Um, I agree that 96,000 and I think the opening number are about as good as any number in a movie musical ever. They hold up with anything that's in Singing in the Rain uh chicago cabaret i think ninety six thousand, which is the pool number for you mother mm-hmm. putting it down for you thank you i also i was saying this last night they did it wonderfully however i was thinking to myself even if they did a mediocre job that number would be fire because that did you no- notice i mean with all the well, slashing well because the even, like say it wasn't in a community pool say, say like they just did it on the street and it was like mm. sort of by the numbers that number is so technically phenomenal it just builds in a way that is so precise and it's mathematics really just like it's it builds a little bit it slows down it builds more starts to slow down and then when it gets to the last two minutes that's when every melody we've heard starts to overlap slowly and then like all encompassing it's very one day more uh in a way that like how music is math right it's why so many musicians are so good at math and vice versa it's it is so precise i'm not trying to take away from the emotional heat of that number by saying it's so precise but it's just like i've never seen that number fail i could see that done at like a middle school and it would still get a huge reaction from the audience because that number is just just something the way you do that would be nice wouldn't it well just be interesting (laughs) like take a tour of your brain but i mean the way you kind of are able to hear these different things i mean the layering and the i well so sure and there are many people who who do that as well i'll never forget seeing book of mormon when like right after they won the tony and i knew nothing about it i didn't know how the plot went i didn't know the score and the act one finale begins and it's this song called Man Up. And then, like, right as in the middle of the song, as we've been hearing this one song for two and a half minutes, all of a sudden, a character comes on and sings a reprise of her song. And I knew immediately what was about to happen, that it was about to be a mashup of all the numbers we'd heard in Act 1. And Because the, the moment she came on stage, for those of you who know Book of Mormon, it's when uh, Nabulungi comes on and she goes, Salt Lake City, a place of hope and joy. I was in standing room, and I literally went, 
oh my god like because i knew what was about to happen i was like that's what this number is and 96,000 is kind of the same once vanessa starts to do her verse and then benny comes in repeating his verse you're like oh that's what's about to happen everything's about to mash up and it's gonna fit so well and it's great it's so exciting uh i also love the opening number i've always loved the opening number i think it's great if i had one critique of it in the movie one critique only is that when Vanessa comes on screen, which is the great phone call, no, 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 no. I wish that the camera stayed on her a bit longer in the bodega. They cut to Usnavi, Benny, and Sonny. That is um, Usnavi's cousin, younger cousin, Sonny, and Benny, their friend. Them doing like shenanigans, trying to like get Nina's attention, uh, to get uh, Vanessa's attention. Mm-hmm. And it's not on Vanessa, but she's singing. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, stay on her. Just stay on her. That's my only critique of the opening number. Every other number I have like, some critiques, some big, some small. My biggest issue is like there are no, there are, there's one number I think, maybe two in the whole movie that don't feel overblown. And one is kind of like a small throwaway number towards the beginning. The other one is called Champagne. It's when Usnavi and Vanessa have the mm-hmm. big like I don't want to call it a showdown, but fight slash kiss in Abuela's empty apartment before he goes. And I like it because it feels very human and and intimate and personal. I would have liked a little bit more of that with some numbers. There are a lot of numbers where I felt it, like because the director, John M. Chu and the writers had all these concepts for every single number and it was all very clever. I was like, Oh, that's a really interesting way to frame that. But it was all, sometimes it would just get to be too much. I'm like, yeah. sometimes edit, you know? Well, this drilled right down to the emotion. It was very intimate. It was very intimate mm-hmm. scene. I, you're going to kill me, but I was thinking back to the opening number and, and also the pool, but if that had been on land, <laughs> I'm smiling because what came to mind in comparison was Christmas on the Square. <laughs> Christmas on the Square. I love Christmas. On- we love Christmas on the Square. We do. We do. We love Christmas on the Square. It's our new holiday tradition. Um, we might have to watch it again pretty soon. I miss it. I miss that movie. So like. How so? Like, in terms of just a whole town getting together yeah, and, like, singing yeah, about the things? Yeah, yeah sure. Christmas <laughs> on the Square is trying to do... Christmas on the Square is basically an hour and 45 of Dolly Parton thinking she can write 96,000. And <laughs> I love her dearly. She never writes a 96,000. She has a uh, Wicked Witch of the Middle. Maybe we just rough her up a little. Oh, God. What if someone could mash up... Wicked Witch of the Middle from Christmas on the Square with 96,000. <laughs> you also think she was green screened in, you think, right? So oh, she was. She was yeah. a, Dolly Parton was never on set for that movie. It's not hilarious. a day. It's she, hilarious. She's, she's 100% green screened in. It's amazing. Um, and people claim she was on set. I don't buy it. I don't buy it for a no, fucking no, second. No, 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 not yeah. at all. Not at all. Sorry, I didn't mean to <laughs> divert oh, attention, but it just was why I was. You smiling. can already tell how much happier I am that we're talking about Christmas <laughs> on the Square. And the Heights is a much better movie, but Christmas on the Square brings me such joy. <laughs> uh, it's funny. Yeah. So yeah, let me talk about a couple more things that I really like in the movie, and you can add on mm-hmm. as well. Because, like, as I said, I'm gonna be also talking about other critiques that I have. I think that the movie's really well cast it's definitely the best sung movie musical we've had since chicago and I even mean, lin-manuel was okay um i have some theories about lin-manuel miranda singing piragua because he's never sounded like that right. on stage and i'm like either that was a, a combination of nine thousand takes he went through vocal 
military training for like six months before, or there was some, you know, auto tune sweetening, which is also possible. Or, or maybe some combination thereof. Or maybe I'm just a cynical dick, and it's all natural talent. I will, I will say, sort of the double edged sword of the casting is, so like. Lin Manuel wrote in the Heights because he wanted to sort of see himself on stage, both like representation of the Latinx community, but also like he was in it. He played Usnavi on Broadway. And think of like a 27, 28 year old Lin. He's not a dashing leading man. Like Anthony Ramos, who plays Usnavi in the movie, is beautiful and he is cut. Like he has an upside down triangle body. So he looks like a leading man. It didn't appeal to me, but okay. Sure. Well, he's also. A little young for you, one might say. <laughs> I'm just saying. He's younger than me. so. But I think he's a very beautiful man. And there was something a little goofy every man about the way Lynn did Usnavi that made him very endearing, even when he could sometimes be a dick. Mm-hmm. And again, as I said, I'm distrustful of skinny, beautiful women. And the same applies to Anthony Ramos. Where, like, there'd be times where I was like, I just wish you were a little funnier because I'm not finding this woman endearing. I'm finding you to be a little bit of a dick. But I don't think that human flaws are character flaws in movies. I know that's not the same thing as a moment where the movie's trying to make a character's action uh, endearing. And I'm like, it's not cute. And in fact, speaking of Lynn and Piragua... So the whole point of Piragua in the show is that it's sort of like a check-in point. Because it's about the community. It's about the neighborhood. Sure. So there's the Piragua guy. Um, and to reflect the changing neighborhood, you know, Mr. Softy is making all the money. And Piragua guy is like, I, I'm just going to keep scraping by. And in the movie, that's the role Lynn plays. And it doesn't really do much for the plot. Uh, it's kind of just there for him to do something. But there's a moment where he's like rolling down the sidewalk singing and he takes his syrup and he like nonchalantly pours it on two kids ice creams from mr softy and i was like listen i hate children as much as the next person but fuck you those kids did nothing wrong except trying to enjoy some ice cream on a hot summer day and you just had to pour syrup on it and ruin it for yeah, them that was mean that was that's nice. fu- that's the one where the movie's like haha funny joke i'm like no that's a dick move dick, nice. dick 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 move <laughs> I'll say it to the day I die. That was a dick move, Lynn, and I hope he's aware of it. <laughs> I need that well, apology you know why? on Twitter. Because it was also so out of place with the rest of the movie, which, you know, even though there was some um, emotional stuff, it was pretty sanitized. If you think about it, there was no profanity in it at all. Very little, very little. The show has very little profanity, and I think... What, they say darn? I don't remember. No, I think they say shit a couple of times. Mm-hmm. It's But it's very quick. Yeah. The the musical, as I said, was already kind of considered a sanitized version of Washington Heights. Mm-hmm. but And there is actually a little bit of violence in the stage show, of which there is none in the movie. The movie takes out all the violence, all the, there's no homelessness, there's no crime. It was one shoplift thing, but that was it. But it was, again, played for laughs. Right. It was, it was indicated that it was like a friend of Sonny's who took something when Sonny wasn't watching the store. But so, I will also say things I really liked about it. I thought there were some song placements that they did that worked a lot better. For example, so Nina's opening song is called Breathe. And normally that's the second song in the show, but they switched it so that way Benny on the Dispatch came first and then Breathe, which I like for the same reason that I like in Les Mis, that they switched Lovely Ladies and I Dreamed a Dream. Because in a stage show, in order for us to follow a character's journey, we usually need a moment for them to sing about themselves. 
but in a movie it's the reverse we need to watch someone's journey for a little bit before we watch them sing a song Mm. to themselves that makes sense and in the heights very smartly does that they move nina's song to after benny's dispatch so we've seen nina for a few minutes i keep hitting my mic uh, but it's the same thing with Vanessa and her song. It won't be long now. Usually that's before the nail salon number. They moved it to after. So we've seen more of Vanessa by that point. I also thought that they did a really good job with Vanessa in the movie. In the show, she's much more of a secondary character. The musical is much more about Nina and Usnavi. Like they are the core mm-hmm. of the characters in the show. And it's an ensemble show. And the movie, Vanessa's much more of a fighting character. However, there's a double-edged sword to that because I do think that has that that comes at the detriment of Nina's character. And it, granted, in the show, I always kind of found Nina to be a downer. I did not necessarily enjoy her character much on, on stage, but there, I was always engaged in what she was doing. Even even if I was like, smile, not to be a dude who tells a woman to smile, but I'm like, another ballad about how you feel out of place. Like, come on, like, can we get something new now? The... She also came across as as ungrateful, you know, understanding right that that um, it wasn't necessarily what she wanted, but the sacrifices that her father went through to. Set okay. Her to yes. Okay. So now we'll once I've said that now, so I'll also say I do, and I also do love the unapologeticness of it being a musical. Criticism, I, criticisms I have. So one of the major changes they did with Nina in the movie that I don't like is why she drops out. In the stage show, she drops out of Stanford because it's the first time a hurdle was too much for her and she couldn't clear it. Mm. She got to Stanford and she didn't do well. Uh, she couldn't keep up her grades because she was also working um, a jo- another job so she could pay for like books and stuff like right. that, even with her scholarships and whatnot. And so she drops out because it was just too much. And... She feels like a failure because of it, and she doesn't want to go back. She eventually does go back. The movie makes it that she's dropping out of Stanford because she got there, and she talks about how she has no community out there. There's no Latin community out there for me. Uh, I felt all alone. And on top of that, like, there are racist people there. And I understand the weight of that, also when it's i also have um issues with the big reveal where she's like my very first day there i got searched because we moved into my roommate lost her pearl necklace and her parents and the ra like overturned all my stuff and then they end up finding it in her bag and i had two thoughts one was any dorm room if your roommate loses something they're gonna search your stuff in the same way that when a wife goes missing they always think it's the husband first like Right. And it was the first day, so, you know. Yeah. But but also, like, if Stanford had been that blatantly uh, racially targeted about it, my God, could she have gotten, like, $90 million from them? You know, the whole thing isn't particularly um, politically oriented. Like, it's not making a statement politically, except for the fact when Nina says, and I just apologize. Yeah. And, you know, that took it to a different level of, of gravitas, which never played out, I don't think, through the whole movie. They, they so, we'll get to it in a second, because they, they try to tie to it, we'll get to it now, they tried to tie it to how she was always politically active with Sunny, and they go to a protest, and she's deciding, I'm going to go back to Stanford, and I'm going to uh, help the Dreamers which is something that's added in the movie. It's not in the stage show. 
and for currency <laughs> for currency yeah although i also had issues with that plot line for the same way that they redid the lotto plot line the lottery mm. is a is a much more uh discussed plot line in the stage show it pops up oh. more often whereas in the movie both the dreamers and the lottery are discussed at the beginning and then drop for yeah. over an hour and yeah. then come back at the end mm. and i that's for me that's a personal thing with storytelling that i don't enjoy where something is discussed a lot and then not discussed again for a long period of time and then brought back up again like nothing happened. And I'm like, that's, I don't like that. That's the sloppiness. That's sloppiness that I'm talking about. Yes. There are other sloppy things I'll mention for a second that in a minute, which could be considered nitpicking. However, so much thought went into so much of this movie and especially about like how to rethink of it as a film that I'm like, did no one catch this? Especially because this movie has been in development for so long. I'm like, did no one catch that moment there? Um, the abuela thing no we'll get to that okay so uh but i know exactly what you're talking about with abuela but so with nina the fact that it's everyone else was the problem not her takes away the sense of shame of like i wasn't enough it's more that i got there and it wasn't what i thought it was gonna be and and then to her, her tell her father and everyone else like no, the prejudice you dealt with is different from the prejudice I'm dealing with. You don't know. And it's like, you don't know what you don't know, Nina. Like, you don't know what your father went through or what your uh, or what your abuela went through or anyone else. Like, it's, it's awful out there for a lot of people. And I, I just don't like the idea of my trauma is special. I don't like glamorizing trauma that way. And, like, my opinion matters because I have trauma. Well, like, there was something a little princessy about her. She, and maybe it's because, she, again, because she, she's a beautiful thin girl. She I'm is like, beautiful. How, I'm like, how dare you? But, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like people now use trauma as, like, a, as a point of being, like, a validation of, like, my opinion matters because I have all this baggage with me. And, like, trauma is not something you want to have. It shouldn't be something that you wish on anybody or that you should have as validation. Like, you don't want your child to ever have trauma. So you shouldn't be, like... I don't know, you should just, I just don't like the idea of glamorizing it. But that's also sort of where the internet is at these days. We're like, as a person who has experienced X, Y, and Z, my opinion is greater than yours, which I don't love. Um, that said, I already forgot my point. Oh, so as I said, in the stage show, Nina has both of her parents. In the movie, they kill off her mom. And I don't necessarily know why they do it other than just to streamline the number of characters like make it fewer characters and well, jimmy smith is like the only marquee name that you know so maybe it was to make him a, a more featured character it's entirely possible I, I was confused because they took out the mom but then they added a third salon lady because in this show it's just two women and they mm -hmm. added a third one kuka uh played by dasha polanco who is from orange is the new black and i was like did they add her just to have Dasha in there? Because she's like a kind of well-known Latina actress due to Orange is the New Black. Was she the heavier one? Or Yes. Mm -hmm. she, who, and she doesn't have a lot of lines because they would try to give her some of the throwaway lines that Daniela and Carla had to her. But Daniela and Carla are the ones who like have actual material still. So she just sort of felt like the third wheel. I would have liked, if you're going to kill off one of Nina's parents, because her mom being dead really didn't mean anything to the story. There was nothing about like, they would sometimes say your mom may she rest in peace, but it was never like about, oh, my mom went through this. What does this mean for me? I feel if you're going to kill off one of Nina's parents, kill off the dad, have her mom have to have taken over the business from the dad years ago, 
and you know struggled but survived and like given a piece of it away so she can fund nina's college and then like when nina says like no i'm not taking the money i'm not going back you don't get it there would have been a really phenomenal dynamic of these two women of different generations in the same family of like what i went through to get you to where you are and you're going to stop because it's tough like it was tough for me too I, th- I felt like there would have been a really great dynamic with two women doing that. Yeah, but, you know, I felt something different because I thought that the father, you know, sort of a a, um, a Latin value, the sort of the protecting the daughter, mm-hmm. protecting the the floweriness of, of the daughter in a way. And his, his I don't know, I, I thought it worked. I thought it worked just to have the Some people the thought it worked. I, and it's honest, I'm not saying it didn't work. I thought it was fine. I thought it would have been improved if it was her mother instead of her father who's, who It might remained. have been too dark that way. It, no, not dark. Just like I thought there would have been more edge to it. I thought there was a lack of tension. Mm. Cause also in, so also in the stage show regarding to Nina, she and Benny are not exes in the show. They're sort of like both kind of eyeing each other very mm. Romeo and Juliet like will they won't they and then there's the added tension of that Nina's father doesn't approve but so by removing that for the movie I felt there was no tension with Nina and Benny now they're exes and right. it's a uh, slowly finding their way back to each other there's no conflict from Nina's dad about it there's no tension and there was no chemistry I couldn't feel it any was ve- well well and I think that's sort of the problem with making them exes is that when you're exes with somebody but it was not a dynamic breakup and you're on like kind of good terms then it just becomes lived in like we know each other in a very intimate way and we're not like angry at each other we do still kind of like each other we're also kind of on friendly terms so it's just very honestly comfortable it's a very comfortable kind of energy so there's nothing like sexually charged about it which in the stage show while I, I well I'll say again like Nina's not my favorite character in the show that dynamic with Benny has that sexual charge to it and act one ends with them kissing during the blackout which is always like a really heated moment that doesn't happen in the movie obviously because the movie in fact the movie takes the musical argument that Nina and Benny have in the show and they give it to Vanessa Unusnavi and again I like Vanessa and I love the actress who played her so I'm like yeah give her more screen time that's absolutely fine but it does come to the detriment of Nina's character for Mm me um blackout which is when they're in the club and obviously the lights go out was probably the number I was most disappointed by because that number is fire on stage it is so good and there's a lot that they cut and I don't necessarily begrudge them cutting things if it's about making things flow and more cinematic fine what whatever but similar to 96,000 or like just musically speaking the way that blackout works on stage is so everything just sort of fits and goes right into the other so smoothly like it's when you cut stuff it just feels like kind of truncated um and then also like for a movie that gets off on having people do actions to the rhythm of the song so like spraying the sidewalk to the beat uh playing checkers to the Mm. beat that blackout happens when they're in the club and it's like a big drum beater like bum 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 to not have them banging on the doors to the beat of the song and having close-ups of their hands like like open these goddamn doors i'm like that was like it's there in the music right like and for a movie that does this all the time i'm like this is the moment you choose not to do that <laughs> like this like should absolutely be there it good, um and yeah. the idea of like all these bodies switched together people are freaking out and like lights are flashing because everyone's using their phones trying to see and then people are breaking out like i never got that energy from that 
number. And I was like, if ever there was a number where that could have happened, it was that one. There was some sort of surprising, not good-natured teasing mm-hmm. that happened, you know, when, when they say about Benny and, and Nina, the roll in the hay thing. Okay. Okay. And then also the ice cream. The yes, the, the ice cream thing pissed me off. But again, also because like Lynn's whole MO is like that he's such a nice guy. And maybe it's also because I'm a bit Lin-Manuel miranda out right now. I went to the drama bookshop last week on the day of opening. And while it's beautiful, they did a lovely job with it. It has a bit of a feeling of like a shrine to him mm-hmm. that kind of put me off. And because he and Tommy Kale are the ones who like saved it. I'm like, oh, so like the, you walk in and there's like a Hamilton in the Heights table. And at the back, they have two chairs that are replicas of chairs from the Hamilton set, which I thought was just like, I heard that sentence out loud from a from an employee and i was like oh these are replicas of chairs from the show like it's as if saying this shoe that i'm holding right now this is a shoe that philippa sue was looking at but didn't purchase while they were rehearsing hamilton it's like going to the wax museum <laughs> but, but like the wax museum of people who like were on the sidewalk during history weren't actually part of the history you know like this is a wax replica of a woman who was walking uh, on her way to the post office <laughs> while history happened like yeah. <laughs> what um so this goes into what I was talking about earlier about some things that weren't changed that make no sense now. First off, Abuela's number, Paciencia Ife, happens much earlier in the show. It happens right after 96,000. So when everyone's like, who won the lottery? No one knows. Paciencia Ife is normally Abuela revealing to the audience that she's the one that won the lottery. She, in fact, when she says, like, uh, in the movie, I think they changed the lyrics, like, what do I do? Uh, no, I've made it or something like that. But in the musical, she goes, what do I do with this winning ticket? And everyone in the audience goes, like, oh, my God, it's her. Because up until that moment, we've only just seen Abuela sort of, like, coming in and out. She's, like, the really lovable grandmother. She has a moment with every person. And she seems very positive. And then she's, as she's feeding birds on the sidewalk, which is something she likes to do, her inner monologue starts to shout, Kalor, Kalor, which um, a friend of the pod, I won't say his name, he was really upset that in the movie she whispers Kalor at the beginning of it because he, he's like, it's she's saying how hot she is. And she's like whispering. I'm like, I know, I know, buddy. I know. Anyway, but so, and it's this sort of angry song about, you know, all the things she went through and now her dream has finally arrived. She has the line, she's like, what do you do when your dreams come true? And what she means is, I won $96,000, and it happens now when I'm at this age. And on top of that, like, my mother's not even around to, like, enjoy it with me. What do I do with that? So, like, there's a sense of guilt about her mom can't be there to share with it, and she feels guilty about having this luck now, and then pissed that it took this long. Well, you know, you're lucky to have seen the show, because I, the stage show, because that didn't even click for me it was so just yeah well so, so i want to ask you with paciencia ife and we're going to go into the uh this leads into my uh detail uh picking uh going in but like 
how, what did that number mean to you when watching the movie, Pasiansi Ife? Because it comes later in the movie, and it's the song she sings right before she dies now. In the subway. On the subway, yes. That's like recreating I her life story. I don't know. It seemed sort of random in a way. I mm-hmm. mean, obviously she was, it was when she was just about to die, and she was looking at the white light, and she was trying to figure, and maybe she was raging against the light, but she was trying to figure out, stay or go, and she yeah. says that. Um, so, it, But it seemed almost, you know, for that, for her having been on her bed, doing that whole subway thing without understanding how it was connected, mm-hmm. seemed overblown. Mm-hmm. Um, because someone it told didn't me, fit. It didn't make sense to me. Someone told me they felt like the song was uh, representing Abuela's train ride to the afterlife. Oh, God, really? Which, which, And I was like, I guess that's fair, but I also don't think that that was their intention, really. I think that Lynn thought it would be really visually interesting yeah, to have her whole life be uh, played out on a subway. I think it was artifice, you know, and it and it it, it didn't work for me because mm-hmm. nothing everything else was above ground in the whole entire movie. And yeah. then this who's such she's such a wonderful, happy, loving character mm-hmm. to be subterranean and having this rage is just it maybe you know is the movie that deep that we need to understand that rage but i think the movie's trying to be i think the movie is trying to have its cake and eat it too of being this light-hearted entertainment but also have that uh meat to it which i totally um respect i and i love that they tried to do that then but then you go into the nitty-gritty of like how well do they succeed at that? And they give with one hand and take away with the other. Yeah. And they undermine and their I, intensity, I think. And I, and I did think, I also say, Paciencia Fe was a number that I liked a lot more on the big screen because the first two times, I did not like it. I right. thought that the number overwhelmed Abuela. She did not feel like the center of it. Yeah. Because that is her song. It's her story. And then seeing it on a big screen, I felt much more like she was the center of it. It also has some really great um, cuts in it when, she, when they have uh, beams of light representing each decade uh, like the uh, days into weeks, the weeks into years, and then she goes to grab the uh, beam of light, and it cuts, and she's on the subway again with the subway pole. However, that then goes into a problem I have, okay, which is a lyr- which is a lyric she has, because in these stage shows she is feeding birds, and that is what she's doing while she has this inner monologue, and she has the lyric, and as I feed these birds, my hands begin to shake. She still sings that line, but she's on a subway. There are no birds around. <laughs> now. The third time watching it, and also I, this is now going into a lot of other stuff because each time I've now watched the movie, I've discovered another moment similar to this where like a lyric or a line from the stage show comes in and I'm like, oh, they actually cut something that that line was referring to. So now that line means nothing. But the third time I was trying to see if there was any justification for the bird line. And then I think they have a shot where she has these like glass birds or like porcelain birds on her like dresser i think is what it was but i also don't buy that that's what it was referring to it just looked like he was looking at that usnavi was looking at trinkets of abuela things to remember her by because then in alabanza which is the song where they're all sort of mourning her he has a line where he's like i like to imagine she you know is somewhere with breadcrumbs in her hand which is referring to how she always liked to feed the birds but she never does that in the movie so i'm like what the fuck does that line mean now and then if you think I'm being really, like, picky about this, there are other moments in the movie that are just like this. For example, 
now that Nina and Benny are, are exes, her being in the nail salon and then going, um, I heard you've been talking to Benny. I hear he's got quite a big taxi. Yeah, right. In the stage show, it's cute because Nina and Benny have never hooked up. And it's like, it's sort of Daniela being like pushing her to hook up with Benny. Right. Like, I don't know. I heard, I heard he's packed, packing a stretch limousine. If they're exes, most likely Nina has seen it. And right. you were just telling Nina, I heard your ex-boyfriend's got a big old dong. Like, I know. That's that, which very is like, distasteful, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, during Carnival de Barrio, when Daniela goes, I hear you and Nina went for a roll in the hay. That's a reference in the stage show because at the end of act one, they make out and act two opens with the morning after and they've had sex. And you think it's this like quiet moment only to find out that the whole block knows. <laughs> but the movie, there is not a single uh, reference that they that they have hooked up. No. They do not make it. In fact, at the blackout, they actually part ways because Benny decides to go to the dispatch to like get all right. the taxis back. So that but she line, was angry at him for going back. She wasn't angry. She, I think she was a little PO'd, but she, like, got it. Vanessa was pissed off at Usnavi for, um, quote-unquote, abandoning her. Mm. Which, in the musical, he actually does. He When the blackout happens, he runs out and goes to find Abuela. Right, right. But didn't, didn't Nina say something like, don't go, don't go? Yeah, and he's like, I have to. And then she... Right. But then she lets him. Mm. So it's not super PO'd. But then another moment that I was like... And again, it's each time I've watched it, I found another moment. I'm like, if I watch this movie a fourth time, which is going to be like three years from now, I, I can't watch it for a while. But if I watch it a fourth time, I'm going to find another moment. But another moment I found was when they get to the club and it's Vanessa and Usnavi and they're walking down and they're singing and she's like, relax. She goes, let's get a drink. And he says something sweet. And she goes, you know me, a little bit of cinnamon. That line means nothing in the movie because what it's referencing is a inter- an interaction that the two have in the show during Vanessa's number, it won't be long now, where he gets her, he makes her, um, I think it's like coffee with cinnamon mm-hmm. and condensed milk. And she goes, oh, like my abuela used to do. And he goes, that's what all the girls say, that I remind them of their grandma. It's a cute little, like, you know, menchie moment. But, you know, he knows that she likes cinnamon in her coffee. So when they go to the bar and he goes, something sweet, she goes, you know me, a little bit of cinnamon. But that interaction isn't in the movie. There's no reference to her liking cinnamon in it's anything. Random. So it's So she's like, like you know me, a little bit of cinnamon. I'm like, is that supposed to be like a weird, like poetic come on now? Like, it's, <laughs> it, it means nothing. It means nothing. And again, I know this is like harsh little details that I'm talking about, but like it popped out to me. And I also know that the Abuela Birds line popped out to a lot of people because when when every time I've said I've, I have some uh, moments that stick out to me, everyone has gone, oh, the Birds line. <laughs> Even people I know who loved the movie. They're like, yeah, the Birds line. It's weird. It makes no sense. And it's just so blatant. I also felt, and I, I, I'm trying to hide the names of the people who have these feelings because I know that Lin-Manuel Miranda's mafia is out there <laughs> coming for everyone. I've already resigned myself to the fact that I'm going to get taken out by the Lin crowd. So I'm, I'm blatant about it. But all other interested parties, I'm going to keep them anonymous. But a friend I spoke to the other day who has a very deep connection to the show, uh, he likes the movie and he respects that they really worked hard to make it a movie. He likes it a lot. But he did say that he felt that Abuela was shortchanged in the movie. Mm. Whereas in the stage show, when she dies, it is like a gut punch because she dies midway through act two. And also by that point, Usnavi knows she won the lottery. Um, they're oh. like, So the way that Abuela's storyline works in the show is she's introduced. She's really sweet. She has a moment with Nina. She's got a moment with Usnavi. She's like in and out. She's a really sweet girl. Also, sweet girl. But also... <laughs> In um, 96,000, she's the one who says, Ay, alabanza! And they give it to a random person in the movie. I get, expand it. But when he's like, oh, she used to say alabanza all the time, she never says it in the movie, as far as I'm aware. And I've seen the movie three times now. She says it a couple yeah. times in the show, especially in 96,000. She says alabanza. 
it's just like those little details were like as i said i don't love the script of the stage show but they do a good job of incorporating these details about characters that when they make reference to them later it's like yeah they did do that. I mean, it sounded like continuity issues and, like, why it, it had to have been a conscious they, – they couldn't have been oblivious to the well, fact I think by looking at the that. bigger picture of how to sort of shift it to modern day and then to make it work for the screen, a lot of details kind of went by the wayside. And But it's also those details that make the most of it. And I also – it's also unfair in a lot of ways because I've just recently watched WandaVision for the first time. I binged watch it in a day and then I watched it again a couple of days later. And I'm not someone who's, I don't know the Marvel universe at all. So the show was confusing for a while and I figured it out. And then I watched it again, knowing what I know. And that show is airtight with how they like mapped everything out. Continuity with characters, with details, like just little touches where I'm like the amount of thought that went into this from everyone. And like they have the same amount of time to prep for it that in the Heights had. It's just like something just fall by the wayside, but it's you like, it's those details that matter. Anywho, um, my friend was saying with with abuela in the show build all this up after ninety six thousand, it is revealed she's the one that wins the lottery um they do the dinner scene nina blows up and then when the blackout happens usnavi rushes to abuela's apartment to see if everything's all right and abuela um says like you need to guard this money with your life and he realizes that she has ninety six thousand dollars cash now in her apartment oh and then the next and the morning after, it's they're going to use that money to go to DR. And I even think he has a line about it in Carnival de Barrio. And then she dies immediately after Carnival de Barrio. And then in the show, what happens is he's, when she dies, he's still going to go. And then Sonny and Graffiti Pete uh, do something. So, so there's also like a running gag about how the grate for the bodega is broken. And then in blackout, Sonny's all alone with the bodega and he can't get the grate down because it's broken and they get looted. So there's like a little bit of violence and there's a little bit of danger in blackout in the show. That's not in the movie because no one right. loots it. There's no, there, one of the plot lines in blackout in the show is that there's looting happening and they don't do that in the movie. And I can understand they don't want to have that like negative representation. Particularly now. But well, the movie was made in 2019, but it adds a sense of danger to the number and, and heightens everything, which I think is important. As in the movie Blackout for me was just sort of like a whatever number. Anywho, but so after it's looted and Usami's still going to go, Graffiti Pete and Sonny fix the grate for the bodega and they paint a portrait of Abuela on it with Paciencia oh. Ife on it. <laughs> and that's what makes Usami stay. In the movie, what do they do in the movie to the bodega, mother? They make it look like DR on the inside, mm -hmm. with a little like Paciencia fan in the corner. But it's not a tri it's not a tribute to Abuela. No, not at all. I like that they have Vanessa included in it, but it she also it's like Vanessa is now a fashion designer or aspiring fashion designer in the movie, which is fine. It's a good detail. I enjoy it. But it's also about like how she can't be creative now that she's moved downtown, and then she like gets inspired and she makes these dresses that she shows Usnavi and like Graffiti Pete paints the Dominican Republic on the walls of the bodega. And that's what makes Usnavi stay. Whereas in the show, the whole purpose is that. Well, I think it was a combination that of that and the fact that Vanessa was involved because sure. they never consummated or, or even decided to be together by the time he was going to leave. They were on the cusp, right? The yeah. champagne. And then he was going to leave. So like the show, a lot of it is about home. Like where is home? What does home mean? And Usnavi's trying to go back to DR because that's where he thinks his home is. 
And then it's the very, very end of the show when he sees the Abuela portrait and he realizes, oh, my home is here. Um, Because not not only is it because it's where Abuela was, but he realizes that Abuela meant so much to other people and that other people were paying attention. So, like, in the show, Sonny and Graffiti Pete seem like kind of just dopey characters who, like, don't take any emotion in. And then the fact that they make this mural of Abuela, he's like, you guys did this? Like, you two? You two, like... And it moved him. He's like, I underestimated you, and I underestimated how much you saw and felt. And it's a really beautiful moment. The movie, it's a little more of like, you don't have to go to DR, because we made it here for you. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Well, so Sonny was resistant. He didn't want to go. He didn't want to go, yeah. Uh, it's Whereas in the show, I don't think he includes Sonny in going to DR. I don't remember, but I don't think he does. I think it was just going to be him and Abuela. And what was the point of Sonny's father? You mean played by Mark Anthony, yeah. Former Mr. Jennifer Lopez, yes. Mark Anthony? Yes. The first time I saw it, I was like, you can't have Mark Anthony play Sonny's father. At least not for that kind of scene where it's his only scene. It's right. this big dramatic scene of like Sonny's father is a drunk and his father's kind of like a deadbeat. And it's played by a super famous dude and like recognizable too. It's John Mulaney has this joke with Law and Order how like sometimes they'll get really famous people for guest spots yeah. and you'll always know their character is the one that did it because like <laughs> they're the ones and like, they can be in and out because they have no continuing plot yeah line. like they're, they're just there for that one episode but he had a he talked about how like Dean Kane of Lois and Clark fame played a suspect in a in an assault episode and there's a scene where the woman who gets assaulted has to like pick the guy out in the lineup and John Mulaney's like, I wanted nothing more than for that woman to look through the lineup and go, is that Dean Kane? <laughs> <laughs> like, that's so good. Because, like, that's all you think about. So, like, there's an episode of Law & Order where Sutton Foster uh, plays, I think, no, sorry, no, Jane Krakowski. Sutton Foster is on an episode of Law & Order, but the episode I'm thinking of is Jane Krakowski is, like, the sister, I think, of a hospital administrator or whatever and you find out she's like been killing all these old pe- uh, people in the ward uh and you're like you know it's gonna be her because it's jane krakowski and she's not gonna be in it to do one scene well you remember to me there's a real life version of that where <clears throat> people looked up at the judge and said wait is that richard tickton my father right and so oh. my mother woke up in the middle of the night um, with Law and Order playing, she couldn't sleep or whatever it was. And my parents been divorced for a very long time. She mm-hmm. looks up and there's her ex husband, my father, on the screen. She thought she was hallucinating. It was playing, pretty yeah. funny. My grandfather played a judge on an episode of Law and Order. Judge once. Wolf or something. Something. I don't Wolf, know. I don't, remember. I don't know. Uh, but it was funny that she saw him. Like, well, no, the equivalent. No, the equivalent of that would be if Nanny were in the episode two playing Nanny. And then Papa San shows up as the judge, and she, and he's like, "Miss Tickton, do you have anything to say yeah. about your defendant?" And um. nanny, and nanny, to look at Papa San and go, "Are you my ex-husband?" <laughs> yeah, but it was funny. It was yeah. a funny moment. If, it's like, wait, what? And and maybe I'm alone in this. I just because I didn't know Mark Anthony had a had a cameo in the movie. So when he popped up, I was like, "What?" And so, and it's supposed to be this like big dramatic scene and all i could think of was oh my god mark anthony has a scene in this movie and it was so heavy and dark compared to the rest it almost was gratuitous in a way 
I don't know if it was gratuitous. I thought it was just a bad case of celebrity casting because he was, and he did a. I don't. I don't no, want to begrudge his He did a lovely job. And if he weren't Mark Anthony, I wouldn't think anything of it. I would think, what a lovely job that scene just did. But right. it's it's things. It's those things you have to think about. Like, I don't know. Is like it you distracting. You can't have like Dolly Parton play a random bank teller in a serious scene in a movie because all you're gonna think about is that's Dolly fucking Parton. Right. Like playing this random ass bank teller ah uh, um who are some actors that you really liked in this movie well as i said i wasn't so wild about nina but we don't know if that's direction or writing uh-huh. or whatever um both. yeah i really liked um vanessa i liked the um beauty shop owner i thought daphne rubin vega daphne rubin vega and um Stephanie Beatrice, who plays Carla, her you mm-hmm. know dumb lover, they they're still my favorite ones in the movie. I, after having seen it three times, they are my favorites. The first time, the second time, the third time, they they're so fe- good. They felt like the stepmother and the two stepsisters from Cinderella. You know, there yeah. was just something um, um, coarser about them. Yeah. You know, I wish that their number in the salon, uh, No Me Diga, I wish it was a little less busy. Mm. It's such a funny number, and they do such a good job with it. And there's a lot of great visuals about it. But there's just so much going on. Yeah. Um, especially, like, because, again, as I said, that number is so fucking funny. And so just, like, have slightly smaller moments so the line can get the laugh. Yeah. There are so many visual jokes. But there are also things that I was like, oh, I like that. That's cute. Like, how they kick their feet up in the chair, like, to the beat of the song. You know what I said? Like, they right. love, this movie loves to have people do things that are, like, mundane to the beat of music. That's cool. No, it is cool. But again, why wasn't that happening in Blackout? I know. This may surprise you, but I liked Benny. And I felt... Why does that surprise me? Oh, I don't know. Because he really is is a little bit tangential in a way. Um, What does that word mean? Tangential? Yeah. You know what it means. Do I? I'm famously dumb. What does that word mean? On the the side, it's like, you know, there are... uh, Oh, okay. Tangent goes in another direction, kind of. So, really, Matthew? <laughs> I never said I was smart. I just said I was you loud and opinionated. You are brilliant, and I always thought you had a great vocabulary, but there you I go. I have a decent vocabulary, but I have blind anyway, spots. Anyway, go ahead. Tangential. I, I've learned I a new word today. I thought he was a little bit tangential, but my heart went out to him a lot because I felt like he was pining for Nina mm-hmm. and really felt warmly very warmly toward her was in love with her mm. and that she kind of put up a she was a little cold right she put up a little she bit is of a cold, cold movie, shoulder yeah. and i just kept thinking this is unrequited love and so yeah. sad yeah the um benny is such a mensch and cory hawkins who plays it in the movie does a really great job he does and going back to the dispatch to do that and the, yeah. that was really i love i love benny's dispatch that was one of my favorite songs in the show and i thought they did a very good job with it they in the movie did. They did. I, and it's one of that and Champagne where the two numbers were like, oh, people. Yeah, it's, real. <laughs> yeah. And because every song otherwise like feels a bit like a music video because each one has its own visual language. So like in 96,000, they have like the air chalk drawings happening like while they're discussing plans with their money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When the sun goes down, which is the Nina Benny duet at the end, like they're dancing on the side of the building. And it's these things where I'm like, that's visually cool, but I'm not... I didn't like that at I, all. I don't. I don't like that number. It felt like shtick. Well, it I felt like Baz like Luhrmann. Uh, it felt very Moulin Rouge. But Moulin Rouge is very specific about why it does what it does when it does it. Moulin Rouge is all told in the flashback of Ewan McGregor. So the way that he sees Paris when he's young and like naive, and the way he like is overwhelmed by the Moulin Rouge, 
that's how he remembers but that's it. That's thematic. So, well, no, so I'm saying, was... that's storytelling. That's right. it all goes into it. Whereas this was just like it would be really cool if they danced on the side of a building. Someone said to me that they would have preferred the song where Nina and Benny sing together earlier. It's called "When You're Home," where they're mm-hmm. like going through the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. They said they would have preferred that Nina and Benny like run along the tops of buildings for that number because mm-hmm. that would have been them overviewing the whole community. Sure. Uh, Although I also thought that When Your Home was a little too broad. So I was like, I don't know, maybe them being on the buildings would have been one step too far for me. But also, this is such a tiny little thing to piss me off about. But it pissed me off the first time. It always pisses me off when they're dancing on the side of the building and you see them like dance in front of a window and a family's eating and then like the kid sees them yeah, out the window yeah, and he's, yeah, like, yeah. he's like, what? <laughs> that pisses me off. Because I, the joke is obviously like everyone going, ha ha ha, he sees it too. And like, he knows, he sees how ridiculous it is. And I'm like, okay, so you're, what you're telling me then is that in this world, Nina and Benny actually have the ability to dance on the side of yeah, a building because yeah, yeah. a child just saw them do it. Right, right. It validates it or something. Well, yeah. it's just like. It concretizes yeah, it. These, so. these things don't exist in a vacuum. Like one thing then must mean another. And because, I, and as I said, I, I just came out of WandaVision, which is so precise about its world building. I'm sure there are incongruities with that as well that I'm unaware of because I don't know MCU that well. But from my perspective, the world building in WandaVision is pretty airtight. And sometimes I'm like, you got to throw the, uh, sometimes you got to kill your darlings and like cut the joke of the kids seeing them just so we can like live in the fantasy of them dancing on the side of the building knowing that it's not real. They'd already lost me because I found it so hokey. I just didn't understand why. And maybe some... Maybe someone can explain to us wh- why that was important, why that made sense. Maybe other than trying to put energy in that relationship or something, but it didn't. Yeah. I, I found it distracting. And there are a lot of things I find distracting in the numbers in this movie. As I said, I find a lot of the numbers to be a little too big. Mm-hmm. Um, even Vanessa's number, the It Won't Be Long Now, which is about her trying to escape the barrio and it, honestly, eventually her escaping New York. But the number is her going to check out the apartment downtown but also like her finding trash and like using it to make her fashions Mm -hmm. and i'm like i like that you gave her action to do but what she's doing isn't really connected to the song she's singing it's Mm -hmm. it in a way it's like i guess it's it's meant to be like vanessa's inner monologue while she like goes about her day which would be fine if like the rest of the number weren't like specifically about her trying to escape uh, something that a friend, the one same friend who hates that Abuela does not shout calor, he doesn't like that when Vanessa sings how the boys on the street uh, whistle at her, the boys aren't doing that when she sings it. The, <laughs> there t- she walks by two different guys who bother her, but they're bothering her with like pamphlets. So it's like, have a moment for the environment. And she's like, the boys whistle at me. I'm like, they weren't whistling at you. They were, they were giving you like paperwork. It's funny. I mean, but again, yeah, again, distrustful of beautiful thin women. <laughs> it's um, it's I don't know. It's like uh, you'd be amazed at how many people are. Oh yeah, yes. <laughs> My mom is famously thin and beautiful, and everyone is very distrustful of her. Well, no, but it it now makes me laugh in that number because in the show when she's singing it, like it's actually happening to her that men are like catcalling her, and we see two men like. I don't want to say they catcall her because they aren't like offensive. They're just up in her personal space. They're like, Vanessa, please go out with me. I love you. It's like a little more, it should be a little more gross and a little more distant. And just like random guys who don't know her from the next person, uh, sexualizing her and whistling at her from across the street. And we see her brush it off. Whereas in the movie where she's like, the boys whistle at me. It's like those two guys wanted you to sign up for like a mailing list. They weren't, <laughs> they weren't catcalling you. 
it's funny because in a way it felt sort of sanitized right it felt, yeah yeah it wasn't a very sexual movie either disnified in a way yeah wasn't very sexual wasn't very violent wasn't very sweaty and the show is not very violent but there's a little bit the show's not very sexual but there's a little bit and mm-hmm. the, both of those things got taken out which just made it a little less interesting to me um and i should emphasize again i did like this movie <laughs> so did i second time i cried okay first time i didn't i did cry i didn't cry but that doesn't mean i didn't find something moving i found alabanza quite moving i think alabanza is just a beautiful song Crying is a, you know, very specific reaction to things. And it's usually something that triggers us. I have told you this. When I cry at a movie, it's usually because of a specific thing. Do you remember what I said? I don't remember, but I know the sense of it. It's when a parent in a movie realizes that their, like, sensitive child is sensitive. I always (laughs) cry. Uh, So, like, this... I, I cried at the end of Paddington 2. I always will. But the scene I always reference when it comes to, like, when I say that I didn't cry in the Heights. Take this into account. Like, this is what makes me cry every time is in the Lego movie when Will Ferrell realizes that his son, who was playing with his Legos, wasn't making a mess, but was actually making really creative scenarios with the Legos. He looks around and he looks at his son, who he was, like, just mad at 10 minutes ago. And he looks at him and he goes, you made this? And then he, like, gets down on his knees to his son's level and hugs him. And I cry every time. But that's a specific thing for me. Get closer to your mic, love. Do you feel that your parent or parents didn't know that you were creative? Um, no, I know you knew. Okay. No one bats a thousand, though. (laughs) There wasn't, I wouldn't say you guys were consistent with it. There were times when you tried to get me to try other things that were not my wheelhouse. But I don't begrudge you that because I had those experiences and it's great fodder for my one-man show. It's also what parents do. Sure. I will say, first, I think I was a very specific child where it was very clear where my interests lied very early on. And I, in retrospect, I would have liked more of that. I got plenty of it. I got plenty of support from you guys about it. I would have liked more, but also like coulda, woulda, shoulda, honey. I'm where I'm at now and I'm happy with where I'm at right now. And I think I can only get better from here. And in fairness, if we had lived in the city, then you would have had many more outlets and options for things to do and ways to express. If I, if we lived in the city, I'm convinced I would be the mayor of Broadway by now. <laughs> it's not too late. Well, I don't think... <laughs> I don't think it's what Broadway wants. I think, <laughs> I think everyone, who, and I think everyone who knows me is like, God, Matt, please don't ever get into any kind of power with like Broadway because you are like you have a very specific taste. But uh, Sarah actually asked me on Saturday. She was like, she she asked me about um if I if maybe like the reason I wasn't so like overwhelmed by like this one thing is like maybe it's like you just don't connect to that. And I said, Sarah, I connect to quality. <laughs> God. <laughs> I'm attracted to things that are good. But I did actually wonder about this. Is it possible to love something and know it's not the best? Of course. Are there are, are there any movies or TV shows or books or whatever that you're like, I love this, but what I know it's not? What do you think not... loving people is about? First of all, how dare you bring emotions and humans into this? I'm talking about the very real relationship of you and a movie. <laughs> not of you and another human being. 
you psychopath. There are plenty of things that are satisfying and, you know, we sort of satisfy a, a, a sweet tooth in a way, but they're not necessarily good or, yeah. right? Well, I'm saying, like, I love The Princess Diaries. I've watched it enough times now to go, like, I don't think this is actually a very good movie. It's very silly and, like, not always in the best way. But I love it, and I'll defend it. Also, not to... I'm sorry for anyone uh, to bring up his name, but this is another movie that does this for me. The movie Radio Days by Woody Allen. I cannot rightfully tell you that that's a wonderful movie. I can just tell you it feels like chicken soup when I watch it. Like, it is... It just is so comforting. Um, But I don't know if it's, like, a phenomenal film. I just... Anytime I watch it, I'm immediately in a good mood, and I feel comforted by it. But, yeah, so, like, within The Heights... When I tell people, like, I liked it, I have problems with it, though. And then when people are like, oh, I loved it, I thought it was amazing, I'm like, I wonder if people could say that they loved it, but they recognized flaws. Because so far, anyone I've spoken to who has said that they loved it have not said that they recognized flaws. It's sort of a mood thing. That's why I said you have to buy in, and then you get swept up in in, in sort of the the noise and the color and the, and the you know, I, 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 that's my impression. Maybe my brain is just too... But also, what are your expectations? You know, you have a big splashy musical, movie musical like this in the summer. Do you, do you really expect, you know, everything, every every T cross and every I dot? Well, that's first of all, yes, because mm. you're attracted to quality. Yeah, and guess what movie does do that? That's a feel Paddington good. Paddington Two. Paddington Two, <laughs> you motherfuckers! That movie is perfect. And as I said, you cannot like it. Don't want to know you if you don't, but you cannot like it. But there's not a single thing objectively wrong with it. It, Everything just fits. Everything is thought through. To the point that, like, I don't have to think when I'm watching it. It's so easy for me to buy in because they do all the work for me. I say this about all entertainments. Especially when it's Hollywood and it's Broadway. You're supposed to be the best of the best. And you're supposed to be the tastemakers who are providing the content for all of us. Like think through it all and like really make try to make it the best it can be if you're gonna give us trash we're gonna become used to trash and like we should be wanting to be better and like if we're if we're progressing um on a cultural and ethic ethical level as human beings we should be able to like progress our tastes with movies and tv and theater as well right yeah you know i think there is um a saying i'm not going to get it right but something like no one ever went broke underestimating uh, h h r menken h l yeah. menken h l menken i think was the one who said that no one say the full line i I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna the payoff so no one ever went broke underestimating, underestimating the taste of the taste, american people yeah that's a taste of the american people right? yep so you know you've never worked for a movie studio they have a big operation to keep going afloat and so i i was at one i know where they had to keep putting crap through it because you have people to support with that whole pipeline and they just need something oh. to go through it. So not I don't, everything's going to be a think, gem. I don't think anything of movie studios. I do not look to them as the tastemakers. I'm referring to the people who make the things. Ah. Um, and like, again, not everything's going to work, but when something's a passion project, when you think, and, and with someone like Lin-Manuel Miranda, who's like whole MO is that he thinks through all the details. Right. He doesn't always. Uh, I think Hamilton is an objectively better show than In the Heights, just because I think more is thought through and better constructed Mm -hmm. there are songs in in the heights that i prefer to hamilton just like i feel more like i feel more listening to alabanza than i do to it's quiet uptown i get more excited by ninety six thousand than i do to skylar sisters which is not to uh 
be demeaning to Hamilton. It's a testament to how much I like those numbers that I prefer them to some songs in Hamilton. But alas. Also, like, as I said before, if you're going to be in entertainment, do all the work for me so I can turn off my brain and enjoy you from start to finish. The show that I say does this so well is Mamma Mia. Mamma Mia is so smart about how dumb it is. <laughs> it is, right. Yeah. I mean. Well, because they're like, if we're going to have you buy in to our stupidity, we need to think everything through. And so that way you're never like. No obstacles. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, the movie of Mamma Mia is a poorly made movie just on a technical level. Like just where Meryl Streep's on a Greek island turns the corner and she's on a soundstage. Just like the lighting is so off. Like it's very clear that Phil Little Lloyd, this was her first movie. But because it follows the stage show pretty well, it's still really enjoyable because the stage show is, you know, bulletproof. It's It, it just does, never fails to entertain. Right, right. So final thoughts on In the Heights, Mama. I am glad that I went to see it on the on the big screen because, as I said, it was a very different experience. I mean, you know, IMAX takes a bit to get used to because mm-hmm. it's so big and in your face, but it, it helped in this experience, I think. Concur. Um, I think it's a nice summer movie. I think that it pays homage to a neighborhood that is continually changing mm-hmm. because prior to um, Latinx, population there there were um eastern european jews lived in washington heights Mm -hmm. and now as you said it's getting gentrified with actors and and people moving in there so you know i guess it's trying to take a snapshot Mm -hmm. of a moment in time of of a neighborhood and it really speaks not only to home but to neighborhood to community so i did love that the movie had the story take place around like now and like the neighborhood's changing i'm like honey the neighborhood's been gentrified for a while yeah, yeah. um and i do love that the business that they chose to like be the representation of the gentrification dry cleaner. a dry cleaner well, it was the price of the dry cleaner yeah a starbucks would have been a better visual well i think, I think but... starbucks would have been easier i think the dry cleaners it's a it, i i get why they do it because it's a good way of showing it and not just saying like Okay, with when Abuela goes and she he sees the price of how they charge and what it's all going to cost, like that's a nice sort of moment where she's like, "Oh, everything is changing. This, this is too expensive now." It's just a very specific business to choose to like lead the way for gentrification. And you know, they're they're they weren't really playing on a lot of stereotypes, but I didn't like the fact that the guy who runs the shop or owns the mm-hmm. shop read a little bit, sort of like late middle-aged jewish and so... well he plays hades in hades town so when i was watching i'm like oh they literally had the guy who plays the devil You're playing right. that the the gentrifier um so that was like that was cute to me but yeah no i, I as i said i really did like the movie go see it in a the theater it didn't do very well this past weekend no. it, it underperformed at the box office and granted we are kind of coming back from covid but there were high hopes because A Quiet Place 2 did so well at the box office and In the Heights was so well reviewed and people seemed to be excited for it. And then it underperformed its initial projection. It might have been overhyped also. It might have been. But also it's available on HBO Max. So you yeah. can watch it there. But apparently it underperformed on there too. Interesting. It might become a word of mouth kind of thing because Greatest Showman really kind of bombed its opening weekend and then just sort of maintained. Hmm. So maybe it'll do that. Uh, I would prefer In the Heights to have that narrative over Greatest Showman, as I think In the Heights is a much better movie than Greatest Showman. I will say this uh, to close this out, guys. I know it seems like I was picking on this movie a lot. And to be fair, I do think a lot of things that I said are valid. I did like this movie. I do think it's a good movie. The Greatest Showman, 
trash pure trash <laughs> fucking trash i'm sorry it's it's fucking terrible and you can have your opinion you can you can like the greatest showman but don't you dare look me in my gay little jewish face and tell me that it's good because she ain't she ain't <laughs> the greatest showman is those 30 seconds of the movie just friends where julie Haggerty sings to ryan reynolds off the top of her head be yourself be yourself it's that but it's pop music and it's circa 1890 oh, and wow. it's it's ugh, ugh, ugh. but go see in the heights yeah <laughs> see in the heights and get some popcorn while you're at it yeah um Mama, yes, you're see. on Instagram now, aren't you? I am, although I don't really visit it much. Okay, so no one should try to follow you. No, they you don't, can. But you don't post anything. Well, it's only because I've been lazy and I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. But, okay. you know, I can I can. Would you want people bit. to friend you on Facebook? Sure. Okay. Where can they friend you on Facebook? On Facebook? Danny Tickton <laughs> Complex. I yeah. mean, that's what it is. That's what it is. That's what it's it the, is. It's a uh, rainbow photo of a glamorous woman posing. That's my mom. You can find her on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram at Matt Koplik, usual spelling. If you like the podcast, uh, please follow us, uh, rate us, or review us. It helps the algorithm. We got some new reviews recently, some new ratings. It's been really nice. Stay tuned for later this week for the final episode of the Sondheim series. Woo, woo, woo. You will also hear my official rankings of the Sondheim musicals. My, I just want to give a public service announcement, which is... Matt Koplik, my son, should be famous. So keep liking these things. <laughs> oh, God. He I... should be famous. Yeah. L- review it. Like it. Tell your friends. Now's the summer to listen to some stuff. And hey, like, if you disagree with me on In the Heights, power to you. By all means, like, send this episode to people who you agree with so they can all send me hateful DMs about <laughs> how I'm a Lynn hater. Do it. I want to hear it. You're not a Lynn hater. You praise a lot of his aspects of his work and, and his, I was, I his was very lyrics. Open. And you know, I mean, yeah. You... And again, I liked the movie. Right. <laughs> I did like it. I just did not. I thought I was not as over the moon as other people, and was a little baffled by how many people were blind to things that I thought were very obvious flaws. That said, uh, I think to close us out. Normally we do a big Broadway diva, but because I just loved her in the movie so much, I think we're gonna have uh, Melissa, uh, Miss Melissa Barrera, the Vanessa of the film, close us out today for okay. this Night's film, right? Yeah. Why not? That yeah, it's good. I just liked her so much. Yeah, she, she was, was so terrific. Good. We like her. Yeah. So check us out later this week, uh, and talk to you guys later. Bye. Awesome. Ciao. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now 
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.